and welcome to TV Break, the PopBreak.com's monthly roundup of all the ins and outs of the world of TV. I am PopBreak podcast editor Alex Marcus, and I'm joined, as always, by PopBreak editor-in-chief Bill Bodkin. How are you today, Bill? Oh, I am fantastic. Merry Christmas, everyone. It's November, which means it's Christmas time. Every television network is gonna has 7,000 made-for-TV romantic holiday movies that my mom is 100% <laughs> watching. This is Doris Bodkin's time of year, people. Let's celebrate this woman. Yes, I can't wait to see what Melissa Joan Hart is up to this year. Um, also joining us today, hot off the his brief stint as campaign manager to Boba Fett's overlord of the Tatooine underworld election, it's our resident TV columnist, Josh Chernacki. Sorry that you were replaced by Ming-Na Wen, Josh. You know, I have to admit her qualifications were better than mine. So, you know, respect. I can She just really it. knows how to turn elbows, you know? Yeah, I mean, you know, she knows how to get down to business to defeat the Huns. It's true. You also uh, well, <laughs> <laughs> well, we may have Star Wars and Marvel on the horizon, but this month it is truly a mixed bag of early fall TV topics as we update you on the latest regarding the Dave Chappelle drama at Netflix, review Ava DuVernay's dramatic docuseries Colin in Black and White about the life of former NFL quarterback and civil rights activist Colin Kaepernick, and sort out who won the month in streaming. But before we get into all that, let's kick things off, as we always do, by checking in on the best thing that you saw last month on TV. Now, Josh, not sure if you had much time uh, to watch TV while you were trekking through the deserts of Tatooine. What show kept you going through all that? Uh, you know, when you have an attack by Tusken Raiders every other day, you really need something to let off the steam. Uh, and luckily for me, that was Great British Bake Off once again. Once again, okay. Although a a close second will be NFL football. Although after watching the what we did for today, I have very like uh, at conflicting feelings about football. (laughs) Uh, So that's fun. Um, But no, for Great British Bake Off, um, it's been really fun season so far. Um, I know Bill and I raved about it last time. Although uh, updates. One of our favorites slash ones that we picked as a strong contender has been knocked off. So, oh, no. Sadly, Freya, the the vegan baker, uh, the the 19 year old vegan baker. So the youngest and one with probably the 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 roughest road ahead for her because of her having to you know stick with um, things like aquafaba rather than uh, meringue and and all those other weird substitutions like she she definitely had the hardest path um and just it did not work for her on i think it was german week yeah german week week yeah although surprisingly the german contestant did not win on german week so wow i think the uh the scale has have changed the balance of powers is has shifted i think the 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 strongest Baker and the most likely to win is no longer Jurgen. I'm I'm going all in on Giuseppe. I think Giuseppe he's got the he's got the lead. Bill Brooks. Bill, what do you think about that? <laughs> this the sarcasm dripping off that <laughs> like he was drizzling it on waffles is great. Uh, oh yeah, it sounds great. Uh, I think this is the strongest um, like two we've had in competition with Giuseppe and Jurgen because usually it's just like 
oh, there's that one person who's doing great. Then out of nowhere, like you have a dark horse that comes out of nowhere, or that person you you know you pegged from episode one ends up just running the t- table. This is like two very strong people uh, going at it, and both, ex- ex- which kind of goes without saying, both very very likable. And man, the stuff they're making, you're just like, shut up, bitch. It just looks great. Um, I have not watched the most recent episode, but yeah, it's been another fun season. I know Noel's been off a few episodes. He got sick, I guess. So I don't know what happened there. They're being very hush-hush about that. But I'm really enjoying – Josh, do you enjoy the weekly format they're doing, like dropping it every Friday? Or are you just like, god damn it, I just want to binge this whole thing? Oh, I I do love the weekly format just because it, it gives me a chance to, to feel like I'm I'm connecting with it because having binged the majority of the seasons like I know you had to like you 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 don't get to stay up with the uh, the conversation as much and so this way I get to hear your thoughts on it so that's you know rewarding for me although I've been hearing now that I, I keep on hearing these hot takes on the show that I've never heard of like some people really hate Matt Lucas as a host and I was oh, shocked that is a that has been a take since the first even, time yeah even I know that <laughs> yeah. he's not my favorite but I I think he's fine people don't I think it, it that might go more with like people just don't like him even before he got on the show like he's a very divisive he did Little Britain which is a sketch comedy show he was on Doctor Who and I think he's just one of those people that you either love him or hate him. And I think that was coming in a lot. And, you know, Noel is just everyone loves him, even though he's like a wacky guy. He was on the Mighty Boosh for anyone who was who's wondering who I'm talking about. Um, and they might also still be wondering what I'm talking about, dropping a very weird. I have to say, comment. I thought that uh, it was Noel Gallagher, one of the members of Oasis that was on the show and I almost said I would watch it. That's amazing. That would be amazing. <laughs> I know Al Marino, my co-host on Socially Distance, would immediately be watching it this very second instead of gambling. <laughs> um, but no, yeah, Noel Fielding from um, from the Mighty Boosh sketch comedy series. Yeah, so it's I like Matt and him together, but Going back through previous years, um, whoever Matt replaced, I forgot her name. I actually Sandy. Like, Sandy. I I do like Sandy better. She was I did too. Yeah, I have to agree. Much funnier. But well, like since you can't hang out with Sandy anymore, Bill, what else have you been watching uh, that's the best thing you've seen on TV, aside from uh, the Great British Baking Show, I'd imagine? Uh, so, hmm, I'm trying to remember when we spoke last. I've been doing a, well, not a rewatch, but a first-time watch of Cowboy Bebop, of course, in, oh. coming to Netflix uh, in live-action adaptation starring John Cho mid-month. So I uh, I loved the, I never watched the original series, which this week I was talking to all my friends from high school, and they're like, you definitely were in the basement and my friend one friend's house watching with us. I'm like, no, that was your other uh, beardy white friend. That was not me. Uh, <laughs> that was not me. I did not see any of it. Uh, though it speaks to all my the stuff I love. I love it's like this wild like noir space western with like this crazy jazz soundtrack and like wild characters and a corgi and it's great. Um, they've had some really fun, funny, wacky episodes and they've also had some really dark and serious episodes so far. I think I'm about six episodes in. Um, it's very late 90s, early 2000s, and it's in its animation style. 
you will definitely see that, especially if you have an HDTV. Um, but it's it's it holds up, man. It's just such a fun series, and it's it's not one of those things that you know it aged well, is what I'm going to say. So if you, I I think if you you're really beguiled by that trailer that dropped in the opening sequence, which dropped during Comic Con, like doing a watch of uh, Cowboy Bebop, which is now streaming on Netflix proper. Um, it was other places previously. Um, it's definitely worth it. I really enjoy the show. I'm going to try and finish it out. So before the new show starts, which I'm very, very much looking forward to. Uh, are you going to try to track down the movie as well? That's a lot harder to find. I've heard that was on Netflix. I'll have to see where, if I can find it, I totally forgot about the movie until you mentioned it, but yeah, I definitely want to, I remember it was in my like Netflix queue, like 14 years ago. Um, <laughs> it was there, but yeah, I'm definitely going to, when it was on DVD. So I will definitely try and hunt it down and find it. Probably one of my friends has it. I'll borrow it from them if, they, if I can't find it. Yeah. Cause I believe currently it's not available to rent or even, or purchase digitally. You have to like buy a hard copy of it from Amazon. Well, I would have to find a DVD player to do that. <laughs> <laughs> Bill, are you watching it in the original Japanese or are you doing the English dub? Well, so I I originally started in the English dub and I didn't realize it at first. I just put it on and I'm like, I'm like, oh, I kind of hate these voices. So let me just put let me put the subtitle. I'll just do it in the original Japanese with subtitles and I enjoy it much more. Okay. I've always I've always been that way. I, I, I try to watch movies with subtitles than that. Yeah. Duh. And did you did you hear the news that um the uh, Japanese voice actors from the original anime are going to be voicing the Japanese dub of the Netflix live action series for their characters? I did not, and I think that's a brilliant idea because they're pretty great. So I w- I will go find that. I will. Hey, maybe I'll watch that too. Just after <laughs> I watched the original, the American. Yeah. I, I guess if it's uh, if it's that good of a show and you want to rewatch it, that could be a fun experiment. Um, I haven't seen this at all. I have a friend who's a really big fan and whose knives are seriously out for the live action uh, because he just kind of despises even the premise of adapting an anime into live action. A lot of it. Uh, so people. I'm very curious uh, what you will think of the live action now that you are going to be an expert on uh, on Cowboy Bebop by the end of this process <laughs> never really call my expert on much but myself an expert on much but like maybe pro wrestling and irish whiskey but that's neither here nor there says the editor-in-chief of pop culture website but um <laughs> I've, I've seen a decent i'm not like an anime i'm not like rachel freeman who's our anime editor she 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 knows it like back and forth me i mean i've seen enough to hold my own so i like what i for me, it's like I, I can see why anyone who is hesitant about this, even when I was talking to some of my friends, like, oh, I hope it doesn't look like Ghost in the Shell. Oh, I hope it doesn't look like the Rooney Kenshin live adaptation or, you know, keep naming all the ones that have been adapted and have been absolutely crap. You know, so I'm hoping I'm hoping for this. One. I get good, high hopes for this one. Yeah, that, that Ghost it, in the Shell movie was really bad. Did, did you guys watch that? I didn't even want to. It was no. terrible. It's like. Just long and boring and not good. Um, but in any case, uh, I think that was where we learned that Scarlett Johansson felt like she could play a tree um, and speak 
be fine. But uh, less said about that, the better, especially given our topics later in this episode. But um, in the meantime, uh, some of the best things that I've seen on TV this past month are all HBO shows. I have to. I wish I could be more uh, uh, surprising, but... Uh, it's true. My favorite show that's currently airing, the best show currently airing on television, maybe the best show on television, is HBO's Succession, which has come back for its third season. Uh, it is the funniest show on TV. It's the smartest show on TV. It's the most dramatic show on TV. It's just truly the best show on TV. I could probably talk about it with you guys for hours, uh, but we do not have the time. So I just would really recommend anyone who hasn't caught up with it yet to really watch the first two seasons. Some people have mixed feelings on the first season. I think it kind of works from the beginning, but it certainly works better in the second half than the first half. Uh, second season is flawless, even better on rewatch. I've rewatched the whole series in anticipation of the third season. I talked all of my friends into watching it, and, they, and they're on board. And now Sunday nights are so fun because like we're all watching the show and we're getting to talk about it right afterwards. And it's just really, really excellent. It, it's so... Uh, Jesse Armstrong, who created the show, is just so smart about... Uh, developing characters and being true to their voice and their narrative arcs throughout the series. And he has spent the time invested in these people and in their relationships with each other that you can just now throw them into all of these different situations and watch them kind of ricochet off of each other through uh, horrific uh, results. (laughs) And it's just so engaging to watch. Um, I really, really strongly recommend everyone checking out. Josh, you have not seen Succession, correct? I have not. It's it's been on my radar. Um, thanks to to you and I know um, former uh, TV editor uh, as well, um, Matt Matt Taylor. Yes, Matt Taylor, uh, former TV editor and number one Succession super fan, Matt Taylor. I think is yeah. his official title on his driver's license these days. Yes, um, just just seeing his tweets just makes me feel like I need <laughs> to watch it. So I'm I'm getting there. I, I think and, I'm gonna get to it. And Bill, you we talked you into watching it, right? So have you? I, I've watched all of it. I've watched episodes of it. I still think the bore on the floor episode is one of the. That scene alone is one of the great television scenes. That should be studied, man. That was just so many unreal. It's it's amazing. I've heard the second episode of the new season is pretty incredible. Every episode of the new no, 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 season like, is no, no, pretty no, no. incredible. No, 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 like this, like. This is going to base off a Matt Taylor tweet. Like, it might be one of the best of the series. I think that this show is at this level right now where it just is so consistent in quality that choosing what the best episode is at this point is just a matter of personal taste. I think that you're in for such a high level. There's no fat on this show. There's no, like, okay, we have to go to this character in this subplot that we're not particularly interested in, but we got to fill up an extra seven minutes on the on the hour, you know, which a lot of hour, especially hour-long shows, have that problem. There's nothing like that. Every character is engaging. Every character is bouncing off each other in a really great way. There's t- totally different layers of story and conflict, and it's all so incredibly well-written, and the dialogue is so sharp and so specific to each character, but always so engaging and and funny and it's just like it's just it's truly the best show on television right now and it's just so exciting that it it over quarantine over the last two years while it was off the air i feel like a lot of people slowly got on board like you did bill and i think now it's finally kind of hit this moment where everyone is so excited for it and it's actually meeting that challenge which a lot of shows kind of fall 
under that pressure. Once they know everyone is watching, they have a hard time. They want to either prove that they could do it even better or they try. And so they try or they want to subvert what made them successful or they try to give people what they want and they miss the mark. And Succession is just so confident in its vision and so understands its characters and its world that it just is delivering every single week. And I'm just we're three episodes in already. I'm so excited to see where it goes. I'm so excited to rewatch it once I finish watching it for the first time. It's just it's a plus plus material. Another show that I briefly wanted to bring up is another HBO show that's airing right now, Insecure, uh, Issa Rae's show. Uh, Two episodes uh, have aired of that show so far. Um, This is its fifth and final season, um, and Issa Rae, uh, who is the star and creator and one of the uh, head writers of the show, I think she actually isn't currently the head writer of the show, I think she uh, scaled back her uh producial her producer duties um because you know she has a lot on her plate but uh she's still a major creative force in the show uh her and her team uh they continue to make bold narrative choices that are sending the series in really interesting directions along with its characters and i'm really excited i always love a show that lets its characters grow and lets its character circumstance change over time and this show does that really really well this show did take a little bit of time to kind of find its feet in a way that made sense but it's been putting out really great work uh for the last few seasons and just the choices that they've made in these first two episodes are really exciting to me and i've always been a big fan of this show and i really encourage people to catch up with it if they have the chance to it's basically about Issa Rae is this is this woman who kind of there's a series starts she just doesn't know who she is or what she wants out of life she's in her like early to mid 20s and she just kind of has a lot on her plate and doesn't really know what direction she uh wants to go down she had this uh she went to stanford she had this incredible education and now she's got her friends are very successful and and wealthy and she's kind of just not where she thought she'd be and i think that's like a very relatable content for people in that kind of phase of their life and people who could relate to having formerly been in that phase of their life and um it kind of goes from there in a lot of really interesting directions over the years and i'm really excited that it's finally getting a chance to end its story in the way that it uh is choosing to um i will say uh lovey mcpherson and her friends over at live laugh and lovey are reviewing this show every other week uh in conjunction with their uh weekly reviews of married at first sight um basically what they're going to be doing is uh the first uh episode um came out this monday uh it, reviewing the insecure premiere but then after that they're going to be doing uh, basically two episodes of married at first sight one week and then two episodes of insecure the following week uh until the season insecure wraps up uh they're really big fans of the show so if you want in-depth coverage uh of that show you should definitely uh check out over there um, in addition, I want to just give some quick plugs to some of our other shows that are on the network, the Pop Break TV podcast hub, uh, because uh, we've all been covering a lot of the same stuff lately um, in very giving our own personal uh, takes on stuff. And I think people who listen to the show would definitely enjoy, for instance, uh, our coverage from uh, the Goodbye to All That podcast hosted by Michael T. Ford. Um, he gave a full hour over to Squid Game, which is definitely the show of the moment. Uh, and he had special guest Nina Perez on, who is incredibly knowledgeable about K-dramas. And he had a really fun and engaging conversation with her that I really recommend people check out. Um, and also, if you uh, head over to um, 
the Blurred Watchers episode that came out uh, the past month uh, also talks about Squid Game, Courtney and Marshall giving their takes on the first season, um, in addition to Bill's favorite series, uh, Midnight Mass, and uh, my guilty pleasure, HBO Max's uh, Titans, season three, and our new series spotlight from last month, Star Wars Visions. So if you want to see what Courtney and Marshall thought about all that stuff, you can definitely check that out in uh, the Pop Break TV feed as well. Really well done. <laughs> well done. Thanks. I want to give some love to our friends because they're doing great work on the feed as well. And, you know, we got to we got to send people their way. Um, now, uh, someone that we might want not want to send uh, his way is the, the uh, all time great question mark uh, stand up comedian uh, Dave Chappelle. Uh, <laughs> that's going to bring us to our news break segment uh, where we talk about one of the biggest stories going on in television this month. And unfortunately, it is not a fun, exciting story like last month when we learned that Netflix bought Billy Wonka, I guess, was the news last month. Uh, no, this month it is a real bummer, uh, but it's important that we talk about it because uh, it really affects real people's lives. Um, and that is what news should be about. So we're going to be talking about uh, Netflix and ship. Uh, Netflix and Dave Chappelle versus the Netflix LGBT employees uh, <laughs> uh, in a story from USA Today uh, written by Charles Trepany, uh, which is titled Netflix employees file labor charges against company following Dave Chappelle controversy. Uh, basically, I'm going to give you a little bit of background on the Dave Chappelle stuff if you haven't been following it, and then we'll talk about uh, this story specifically, and I'll throw it to you guys for that. Uh, last month, Netflix released a new Dave Chappelle stand-up special wherein he claimed to be a TERF. Uh, he suggested LGBTQ people have more rights than black people, forgetting, of course, that many LGBTQ people are, in fact, uh, black people, and many of the more high-risk people in that community are people of color. Then uh, CEO Ted Sarandis uh, basically proceeded to release a series of public statements downplaying the impact of Chappelle's hate speech, uh, suggesting that because Netflix had pro-trans content like the documentary series Disclosure, uh, they were somehow above criticism from LGBT users and employees, and also comparing conversations around the impact of hate speech to the myth that violent video games cause elevated levels of violence amongst children. Um, in the story that we're talking about today specifically, it's focusing on these two Netflix employees. Uh, the first being a non-binary employee uh, named B. Uh, Pagels Minor, who claims to have been fired by Netflix for publicly objecting to Netflix's continued public support for Dave Chappelle uh, and organizing a company-wide walkout and rally outside their headquarters on October 20th. Netflix claims the individual was fired for leaking classified internal documents to the press related to viewership data of the special and how much money Netflix paid Chappelle for it, a claim that uh, Pagel's minor, who is 35 weeks pregnant, uh, denies doing. Uh, in addition to their uh, complaint, there is a secondary complaint uh, by Netflix employee uh, named Tara Field. Uh, a software engineer for the company who claims to have been subjected to retaliation and threats for speaking out against Pagel's minor's termination. So guys, uh, curious what you guys think overall about the whole kind of uh, shitstorm that's been going on around Netflix and Dave Chappelle for the last month uh, and about this story in particular. Josh, I'm going to start with you. Um, I think the shitstorm is the perfect way to describe it. It's... Uh, it's, it's not a good look. Um, I mean, we're going to get into our, 
our winners of the the month for streaming. And if it wasn't for this, I would say Netflix had a strong month. But this has just been a total just they, they just botched it in every way possible, um, just in terms of the negative press it's received. Um, and just also just the message it sent. Um, you know, Netflix has failed to take responsibility for it and failed to um, hold itself accountable for letting, you know, transphobic hate speech have a platform on their streaming service. It's 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 that simple. And then when their employees started, you know, raising, you know, very valid criticism about it, they started, you know coming down on those employees. Um, and it sounds based off of this, this article from USA Today, um, very much targeting um, some of those employees who took part in the protest or organized the protest or who had uh, more vocal criticisms. Um, and it's, it, I mean, it's it, it doesn't get worse than that uh, for Netflix. Um, and it's it's just it's embarrassing. It's it's embarrassing and infuriating. And uh, I I don't know where this is going to end. But at, at this point, Netflix has become the villain, and I think rightfully so. Um, the only other person who's more villain in this situation is Dave Chappelle. Um, and unfortunately, reading his comments about it, he is also very uh, unrepentant and unwilling to have any. Uh, honest truthful um conversation with the people who he's hurt with his comments and so it's 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 incredibly frustrating um you know and i i applaud everyone at netflix who was involved in the the walkout to protest it i think um they went well within their rights and i you know applaud them for standing in unity with their lgbtq plus um co-workers and family and friends and I think this is a reckoning for Netflix and it's important. And I, I hope that the, um, you know, the, the employees at Netflix continue to put on the pressure so that they can really transform what seems to be a culture in Netflix that seems like it allows or is willing to permit this kind of, uh, you know, transphobic uh, humor to have, uh, a place on Netflix, which it shouldn't. So I'm, I'm hoping once again, I hope the pressure continues and I'm, you know, applauding all the employees. Bill, how about you? What are you thinking about all of this? What's frustrating here is I don't know what's going to change for Netflix. Is anything going to happen? Because I guess the cynic in me would say nothing's going to happen. Because they paid Dave Chappelle millions of dollars for this. Millions of people probably watched it. People love Dave Chappelle and everything he says. He's going to use this to embolden himself to his fan base even more. And what is Netflix going to do? Okay, they'll well, they'll sweep this. I feel like it's going to get swept under the rug. And there's no real change going to be made. That's my frustration here. That's maybe, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe, maybe I'm not seeing something here. But that's how I feel like it's going to go. And, you know, they're going to be like, oh, look over here. Here's that new movie with Ryan Reynolds and The Rock. Oh, look over here. It's Apple Cowboy Bebop. Here's here's all these things. You don't look. Don't look. Don't look. And that's what's going to happen. And I don't think well, I don't think Dave Chappelle. I don't think Dave Chappelle cares. It's very obvious from his statements. 
and I don't think it's good. He's going to get dinged too much in his career. He's, you know, he he's the guy who doesn't care about, you know, quote unquote cancel culture, which is an argument for another day and another podcast. But he's he doesn't care. And so he's like, whatever. He's just going to say what he wants to say. And there are people will back him because there's like it's the slip. It's the, the slippery slope argument. Oh, you start here. Where does it end type deal? And that's not my argument. I'm saying that's the people who are going to be backing him up. And Netflix is like, whatever. We made millions. OK, these two people, these couple people you want to walk out. OK, we'll throw you a couple concessions, whatever. That's how I feel it's going to be, and that's so frustrating because we could have a, a, an open, honest dialogue about stuff, but we're not. Yeah, I mean, I will say that the protesters who um, who mobilized around Netflix headquarters a few weeks ago uh, did have a list of demands. They were notably not to pull the content from this, the platform, which is what they were kind of being accused of. Um, but instead, uh, their list of demands included making long-term investments in content from trans, non-binary, and uh, Black, Indigenous, people of color creators, uh, fully inclusive spaces for trans and LGBT and Black, Indigenous, people of color employees, and accountability when content causes harm. Uh, which, you know, that is kind of vague, of course, accountability, but they are so far from getting anything close to accountability at this point that just like, you know, the bar is extremely low. You know, uh, Ted Sarandis, uh, in addition to uh, saying all the things that I already said, he just insisted that what Dave Chappelle doesn't said doesn't classify isn't classified as hate speech, which is kind of uh, mind boggling to me, given that he denied that trans people exist, basically, by saying that gender is, uh, you know, the gender that's assigned at birth is the only gender that exists and that it can't be changed. And he called himself a turf, which is uh, a very, uh, there's really no other way to describe that, but an anti-trans uh political label um so yeah i don't really know how you denying that trans people exist is not uh hate speech at that point and you know 44 people uh died last year who were trans were murdered um the violence against trans people is significant it's a very small population uh and made smaller every year by just oftentimes uh violent uh, unmeditated attacks, random attacks, um, that is perpetuated by this idea that these are people who don't matter, who don't exist, who are these, like, a problem in society that should be corrected. You know, that's a lot of people look at it that way. And uh, for Netflix to kind of say, well, you know, we're just a free platform, it, it feels a lot like what Facebook says all the time, which is just, you know, we are just, it's this, it's this kind of Silicon Valley disease of saying like, well, we're just a neutral platform and we cater to all people. And so, you know, don't get mad at us. And it's like, no, but, you know, Netflix is investing in specific talent in there. And this is not a new problem. This is the third uh, special that Dave Chappelle has put out that features anti-trans material. And it gets he ratchets it up every year to try to be more provocative and to push back harder on this community that he feels is persecuting him for some reason um and uh yeah that's that's the part where i think that maybe it is reaching a fever pitch because they did successfully in a lot of ways brush it under the rug for a number of years now and finally people are fed up because he keeps getting more extreme in his views um and at a certain point, you can't justify it anymore if you're Netflix. And I think that's kind of where we're at right now. What happens in the future, I think, is 
very much an open question, but I don't think they could just get away with just doing what they've been doing at the very least, you know? And it's different from the the social media platforms too, because Netflix legitimately paid for and promoted the content. So it's like, I know, I know social media, like it's it's different in the fact that they paid for it, but social media has control over the content that they promote and they actively promote a lot of, problematic and heart and harmful and extreme posting because it gets high traffic volume so it is more analogous than you might think no it is i just think it's a worse optic because it's just like you literally bought this and you promoted it and you knew it was in it whereas social like the social media platforms like have like this vague like they have like the vague out which we could all see through but it's like more damning i think where netflix is like you bought it you paid ridiculous money for this you knew what was in it you promoted it and you've defended it it's like yeah and as we and you know it the i think the most rich part of it was when ted sarandos basically tried to downplay uh the significance of it being something that was heavily marketed on netflix in the first place by being like well you know like it's just if somebody wants to watch it they could watch it if they don't they don't doesn't really matter that much it's like well I mean, you guys single-handedly created a global phenomenon in Squid Game because you promoted it heavily enough that got everybody on board to mm-hmm. watch it. Like, Netflix has a unique power among the streamers of just being able to put a spotlight on something, and people are going to at least check it out. So to say that that doesn't exist or that somehow doesn't have value when your entire company is built around the idea that that does have value is a bit laughable you know it's like it's like once suddenly when you get in trouble it's like no we don't have any control over anything and nothing matters and it's just people watching you know tv whatever and it's just like no you can't have it both ways you can't build your company around the premise that this is that your reach is significant and your spotlight is powerful and recruiting talent because through those promises of saying we have a global audience we can really impact people and like you know going to the the glad awards and and to the emmys and chant saying look at us we're so diverse we champion diverse people and diverse creators and our talent and our series are so bold and and making social change and then the second somebody says well you're also fostering hate speech they say well i mean what we say doesn't impact how people think like well then how are you going on accepting awards from glad every year because oh orange is the new black changed how people look at trans people like that is that is true for you but dave Chappelle can't also change the way people look at trans people like give me a break you know you can't have it both ways and that's that's part of what's really frustrating about this but you know i'm glad to see at least that a lot of people have kind of been in solidarity with these with these people i think also another issue is that now it's not just people complaining but it's netflix employees complaining and not just complaining but potentially facing retaliation as as a result of their protests and i think that uh also could kind of shift the narrative in a in a more harmful way for netflix overall so it'll be interesting to see how things how things uh settle in regards to this specific news story do you guys want to briefly comment on this at, at all before we move on yeah, well, let me. Can I counter with a question because it, it relates directly to this? You're talking about sure. consequences. Is like, will this not have consequences today, but down the road, if people wanting to work with Netflix because they see the stand they've taken, and be like, I don't think I want to work with those guys. You know, it's you know, it's an open question. You know, like the they've Good. people like Eva DuVernay. Obviously, she like made a uh, uh, comment on Twitter in support of the 
of the protesters the day the protest happened but you know she's still very happy to promote her show that's on netflix obviously so uh, will she not produce anything moving forward with netflix i really don't think that's probably true their reach is so significant that you could look at it as like cynical of like oh people just want to go with someone who's going to pay them a lot of money but i think if you're an artist who cares about your work the temptation of putting your work in front of literally tens of millions of people across the whole world is difficult to pass up and you might think the work that you do can can counteract the harm that this one stance that this company has taken did so i don't know i I really don't know i don't if i was one of these creators i don't necessarily know what i would do in that position i would think someone like uh, ava duvernay who has won oscars and emmys for like gotten a lot of nominations at least from 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 in television and in in uh, film as a result of their projects with Netflix, like that that would carry some weight and she would maybe be able to influence what's happening. But certainly if that was going on behind the scenes, we wouldn't be privy to it. Um, But that's, I would hope someone in her position would use her influence uh, to make some meaningful change behind the scenes. But, you know, it's hard to say what is going to happen and what is happening that we're not aware of. But yeah, I don't know. I don't think this turns them into a toxic brand. I don't think it's, sadly, I don't think it's big enough to do that, you know. Josh, what do you think? Uh, I think you're you're both absolutely right. And it, it it's just, for me, as simple as, like, if, if you have a platform and you're you're giving someone, you know, a megaphone, you're, you're condoning what they're doing. It doesn't matter if you're also giving other people the same chance as well. You're, you're still responsible for this. And I mean, they paid $24.1 million to Dave Chappelle for the closer. So that's not, you know, pocket change. Um, and so, you know, I'm, I'm hopeful that whether it's creators or employees, um, you know, if enough, uh, you know, Netflix uh, members uh, or people who have Netflix, you know, drop their accounts. Like, it, I don't know what it'll take for there to be, you know, a, a shift in the understanding of this is not OK. But, um, yeah, I hope it's 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 out there, even if it's something that's behind the scenes that we never are privy to. Yeah, I just I think that unfortunately Netflix is a bit too big to fail at this point. And so you just have to hope that over time the noise, the complaints, the genuine protests have enough influence to try to curb some of their worst impulses in this regard. But I don't think that this is going to kill Netflix and I don't think it's going to hurt them enough to force them to change how they view things. I think maybe uh, the more optimistic view would be that if this consistent um, out like swell of of criticism opens some people's eyes at Netflix and, and gets them to think about things differently, just genuinely as people and not because, you know, they're being forced because of social pressure, but just genuinely like, oh, I didn't think about it this way. Maybe there is a way to go forward that is more sensitive to the genuine harm that speech like this could do, you know. Um, but I guess we'll see. That probably feels a bit too optimistic and rosy eyed for <laughs> for reality but you know 
we'll see. And, it, and I do also want to say it's obviously very disappointing that Dave Chappelle has gone down this road. You know, he was once considered a kind of incredible, like, once-in-a-generation talent at merging political commentary, social commentary, and comedy. And and his, you know, the Chappelle show on Comedy Central was this kind of landmark achievement, and he walked away from it very infamously because he felt like it was being misused. Um, it's just kind of wild that not too long ago uh, his Chappelle show was on Netflix, and he was he had made he his quote is that it made him feel sad that it was on Netflix because he couldn't get any money from it uh, because of the you know the fact that he doesn't own it um, in the way that he owns his specials and so uh, he called Ted Serranos and Serranos was happy to take it down off of Netflix for him and it just kind of is a really jarring uh, statement of the difference in influence and power that like one successful comedian can have versus an entire community of of trans people um at that platform but yeah i don't know i hope everybody kind of ultimately when the dust settles and people take some deep breaths that the people at empower and netflix can uh learn from this experience and not let it happen again at least to this degree but i guess we'll see and i hope that if they really did fire this person under false pretenses or as retaliation that actual ramifications are paid because that is abhorrent for any company um whether they give you your favorite show or not <laughs> you can't fire people for uh protesting um a valid political concern that is not just like in the abstract but is actually you know going on in their specific company you know people have a right to uh to speak for their community um when it's being harmed without get fearing retaliation so Agreed. that being said i think we can all agree on that and uh, now we're going to go over to Streaming Wars, where I think we could all agree that Netflix lost the month. Um, but who won the month? Uh, Bill, let's start with you. Goddamn Disney Plus. They did it again. They did it again. Hours before the podcast. They're like, you know what? Let's drop a book of Boba Fett trailer. And I'm like, all right, you son of a bitch. You got me again. You know? <laughs> and I'm like, all right. <laughs> I got to say, like, you know, you know, um, that controversy aside, which not really aside, but just talking in the abstract, is Netflix did have a pretty incredible month. Squid Game is still dominating all forms of conversation, including a six-year-old birthday party I was at where kids were like, Squid Game. And I'm like, have you watched it? They're like, no, but I know I, I know it's a thing. So it's getting down to the kids. They've heard of it. So it's very popular. But I'm gladly not going to talk anymore about Netflix. Disney Plus great they had a hell of a halloween run of course they just dropped news that hocus pocus 2 is going to come out like we knew it was coming but they gave us more details coming out in 2022 gives the plot summary we got disney plus day coming out on november 12th which is going to have some more star wars information we're getting a luca short uh which is going to be coming out or it's short or short series you got a new olaf series a new home alone uh film which it's just wild um uh, Pete Holmes is going to be the dad, which just cracks me up. And, uh, of course, Hawkeye is coming out in November. So, And then you've got Shang-Chi and, I believe, Jungle Cruise both free as well in November, if Jungle Cruise is not already free. So, yeah, Disney Plus gets the big dub for me. Yeah, I don't believe Jungle Cruise is free yet. I think it's November. Yeah, and it's, it's going to be Shang-Chi and Jungle Cruise is going to be the same day, then, which is going to be November 12th, Disney Plus day. Uh-huh. 
And then we got the Mandalore. Uh, yeah, the Book of Boba Fett trailer obviously was absolutely. I mean, I got Alex got excited for it. I was like, yes, <laughs> excited for it, guys, because I just want space surprise. I just as I dropped seven bottles on my my on my off my desk, like space surprise. It's all going to be just a lot of talking. Occasionally, somebody gets whacked. A lot of political machinations. If that's what we're getting, dude, Alex, I'm on board with this. I'm. I'm yeah, I love your that's- idea. That's what I told you. If it's all about like political intrigue and the underworld, I'm on board. Oh. You know, have some oh. some Italian heroes. You know, just kind of like shoot well, the shit. Was, you know, see what we. stuff. <laughs> we'll see. We'll see. I'm. I don't want to get my hopes too high because I feel like no one else wants that but me and and maybe kind of you, Josh. Would you be on board if the book of Boba Fett was all about like politically cons- like consolidating his political influence in the underworld through tense negotiations? Oh, yeah. I mean, <laughs> I, 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 Josh, I don't know if you're going to watch this. Josh is like 100%. <laughs> I mean, it, it, if intense negotiations sometimes who's blaster fire, you know, I'm, I'm pretty sure uh, Padme would agree with that. So um, I, I'm down for that. No, I, I think anytime we can see parts of Star Wars that are not just Jedi and Sith is a good thing. So, I'm yeah. looking forward to it. And then we got Hayden Christensen announced for Ahsoka Tano as well. That was another mm-hmm. huge piece of news. Yes, as probably a Force ghost, I guess, given the timeline. I don't really, you know, it's, it's very confusing how he's going to be popping up on these shows, given when these shows take place. But I guess we'll see how that goes. It's it's nice for I'm happy for him, because I feel like everyone walked away from that sequel, from that prequel trilogy, being like, Hayden Christensen sucks, he ruined Darth Vader. He's the worst part of all these movies. And uh, and I feel like, you know, the fans have kind of slowly reclaimed him um, and redeemed him and his performances over the years. So I'm happy that he gets to kind of have this victory lap, um, which we'll be getting to see uh, in the future, but not in 2021. Um, so, Josh, what is the show that... Uh, sorry. <laughs> all good. Josh, what stream were one for you this month, my friend? Oh, well, thank you for asking, Bill. I appreciate it. Sometimes I could jump in. I've hosted a few podcasts in my time. It just, uh, like, it all kind of just stopped. It was like I hit a wall. Um, okay. It's me every day at 1 o'clock in the afternoon. It was like, what happened? Uh, I, I have to agree with Bill, and I, I looked it up. Jungle Cruise is coming out um, the same day as Shang-Chi on Disney Plus Day. So uh, November 12th is the, the big day for Disney Plus users. Um, it's also when we're getting Olaf Presents, where Olaf is going to perform various Disney movies uh, and retell them. God, who wants that? Who, I do. Who in the world wants that? <laughs> I um, That's what I want. Well, then we should just hire him, like Josh Glad to just come and do it for you personally, so none of us have to see it. Josh, yeah. <laughs> and my daughter started making noise. He goes, oh, does she hear the guy who does the voice of Olaf doing something? And so she's laughing. I'm like, yes, yes, Josh. That's exactly, that's exactly great guy. I was going to say, you and your family are going to just like watch the crap out of that, right? Yes. Yes. Yeah. No, it's a big deal. Um, And on top of that, um, well, I mentioned Shang-Chi and so did Bill. And that's one of the, my favorite movies of the entire year. Granted, I haven't seen that many movies this year, um, but I still love it. Um, but of the 
of the one movie that you watched, it is is your one of your favorites, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay, it's it's maybe just of all the things I watched uh, in any form of uh, media, it's it's my favorite. Um, but one other thing that Bill did not mention that I just want to add is there's also um, Peter Jackson's Beatles documentary coming to Disney Plus, which um, Peter Jackson Beatles people kind of know about those things. Uh, they heard of them, I think. So. Uh, yeah, even though I, I don't think, think I'll watch it, but it's a big deal. I think oh, that people have heard of Peter Jackson and the Beatles. I think that that is a fair thing to say. But together, maybe. Uh, that's. I think that's a Thanksgiving release as well. That's. I'm. I'm very much looking forward to that. It's gonna be a lot of fun. That was supposed to be a theatrical film, and then they were just like, we have too many hours, and I don't want to cut it anymore, as Peter Jackson is infamous for doing. Uh, And so he's like, how about we do an extended edition of this Beatles documentary? And you're like, we'll just call it a miniseries, Peter. It's fine. (laughs) But like, listen, The Hobbit was a piece of shit, so let's just, you're going to get this, all right? Yeah. Oh, no one would ever say that to him. I'm sorry. Yeah, I mean the Hollywood series is terrible, but I don't think anyone would say that to Peter. He, he they have too much respect for him. Oh no. Yeah, I might tell. Sure you go. make the Lord of the Rings, and you can really get away with anything else after that. And he's really tried to test the limits of that. And I'm happy yeah. that he's finally doing something that people can all be excited yeah. about again. Yeah, I, saw, I, saw, I saw King Kong. I know what's up. Oh man. <laughs> Did you see the lovely bones? <laughs> yeah, I've seen it way too many times. My wife puts it on every time it's on TV. It's on stars what? constantly. Why? I don't like bad movies sometimes. Bummer. Shit. I feel you're a martyr. Wow. Brother. <laughs> she lets me watch wrestling. It's fun. It's both bad and really depressing. <laughs> Why would you watch it <laughs> over and over? It's bad and good. It's like bad and just harrowing. Here's a god of terrible about the world. <laughs> wow. I don't know if I could recover from that. Um, but in the meantime, Josh, is that everything for you for Disney Plus? Or? Is the Lovely Bones on Disney Plus? <laughs> no. Gosh, I hope not. No. <laughs> it is not a Disney release, I do not think. Oh I, I used to work at Barnes & Noble. I sold 9 million copies of that book. Oh yeah, my it's God. a very popular book. <laughs> a very not popular movie. Oh. Uh, I think that's... The, the only other thing is that uh, I was pleasantly surprised last month. It's kind of late. Um, when I finished watching all of the Miraculous Ladybug on Netflix, they had the latest season on Disney Plus. So Wait, that was a major win. You watch Miraculous Ladybug, Joe? It's a wonderful show. I love it. It's, it's a wild. It's a wild French series, man. It is yeah. decidedly French. Yeah. So the Ladybug was cross pollinating. You said across streaming platforms. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There you go. That, yeah. That's what happened. It was uh, <laughs> okay. I'm all back. Okay. Uh, for me, I'm not saying Disney Plus. I'm going out on a limb, and I'm saying uh, HBO Max won the month for streaming uh, because they have all of the best TV shows on on right now. <laughs> they happen to be HBO shows, but that HBO Max is how most people watch HBO these days. So they have Succession. They have Insecure. They also, have, as I said, they also have Curb Your Enthusiasm is back, uh, where Albert Brooks is now a uh, cast member of the show. So that's if you ever wanted to see Larry David and Albert Brooks improvising together, uh, you get to watch it on Curb. Um, also, last week tonight, obviously, is back. They also launched a second season of Love Life, and that was like a, a, a pleasant little show starring Anna Kendrick last year. Uh, and now it's going to be a pleasant little show starring Cheedy from The Good Place. And who doesn't like Cheedy from The Good Place? So 
watch him fall in love uh, with people who are not Eleanor um, and and try to make that not break your heart a little bit because it's really it's not cheaty it's a different person but you know he's always going to be cheaty to me um, and yeah and on top of all that uh, guys Dune biggest movie in like the internet since the last one um, it like <laughs> all about the spice baby all about the spice exactly exclusive home uh, on streaming for Dune uh, huge hit Everybody went out and saw it in theaters, so I actually don't know if that counts as a good um, HBO Max win, but what I will say is what I've been seeing a lot of is a lot of, like, nerds on the internet, uh, including people like me, so no disrespect, uh, watching it in theaters and then pulling it up and watching scenes over and over again, finding all of, like, the little nooks and crannies of this sh- of this film uh on HBO Max since it's available for them to do that. So just getting to like rewind and watch specific scenes, like pull things apart, look at like the backgrounds and the corners of the screen and watch the sigils and the the kind of, you know, the weird sort of uh, force fields that they have and getting to watch Timmy have interesting sexual chemistry with his mom. Um, you know, all the stuff that you like about Dune. So yeah, it's, it's all there for you on HBO Max filled with sand. Um, so yeah, I think they won the month. Um, so you liked Dune? I did. I liked Dune way more than I thought I would. Uh, as people who listened to uh, my podcast uh, with Bill on Socially Distanced from a few weeks ago, um, we uh, we talked about how ambivalent I was around Dune because I'm not a huge Denny Villeneuve fan. And uh, basically... Well, that's right. I was like, aren't you a big Denny Villeneuve fan? Yeah, and I said, I am not. You, I was I'm really like, not. Blade Runner 2049 was a piece of shit. I'm like, oh, work. <laughs> <laughs> I love Arrival. Arrival is a perfect movie, but outside of Arrival, I really don't particularly like any of the things that Villeneuve has done. And uh, yeah, this isn't my film podcast, but I will say I really liked Dune. I thought that basically everything that I disliked about Blade Runner 2049 was corrected in Dune. For some reason, the the tone and the kind of uh, pompous kind of uh, pomp and circumstance, mythical kind of angst quality that really bothered me about um, the Blade Runner series, uh, it worked really, really well in the world of Dune. And it just, like, I feel like he finally, uh, Villeneuve finally found the thing that can marry all of his particular interests all together in a way that works at least for me personally and for you know a lot of other people made 40 million dollars at the box office one of the biggest successes uh since the pandemic started so you know good for him uh and good for hbo max because they are the streaming home of that show or that film and i think everyone is now very excited about that show that they thought uh might not actually happen which is like the women of dune um because if you are interested in those scary space nuns who seem to control uh the political uh infrastructure of the dune society uh there is a prequel series coming to hbo max sometime in the next year or two uh all about them so where rebecca ferguson may or may not be featured we don't know we don't really have casting yet but uh they announced it before dune ever came out and then it was very quiet for a long time and it seemed like maybe it wasn't actually going to happen but now it's a huge success so it's definitely going to happen and then we're going to dune 2 in 2023 um Timmy's going to have, have a really busy year that year. He's going to get to play Paul Atreides and Wonka. So, you know, big year for him, 2023. Mark it on your calendar. But, yeah, that's, uh, that's a little bit of a tangent. But, yeah, HBO Max is the winner for me. You guys are wrong. Moving on, uh, we're going to talk about new series Spotlight. Uh, where we're going to be talking about Colin in Black and White, the aforementioned uh, new half-hour docuseries from acclaimed director 
Ava DuVernay, uh, director of dramatic films like Selma, blockbusters like A Wrinkle in Time, documentaries like The 13th, and award-winning miniseries like When They See Us. Uh, this series kind of combines all of those uh, projects and aesthetics into one interesting uh, sort of artifact. Uh, charting the life of former NFL quarterback and current civil rights activist Colin Kaepernick as he grew up in suburban Wisconsin, raised by his white adopted parents, played by Weeds's Mary Louise Parker and Parks and Rex's Nick Offerman. Uh, the first episode, which we all watched, uh, features modern day Colin Kaepernick as the narrator of his own story, intermixed with documentary context uh, providing interludes and historical reenactments about the art, sports, and culture that helped shape him as he tackles the burden and prejudices of being a black teen in America, and in this particular episode, uh, having hair, which is something that should not be so public, uh, politicized, um, but sadly it is, because this is the country that we live in. Um, and he is um, in these uh, flashbacks as a teenager, played by a uh, very talented young actor, Jaden Michael, who I think is, is really good on the show. So uh, I'm going to ask you guys first uh, your backgrounds with Colin Kaepernick as a figure, uh, because I know you guys are big uh, football fans, something that I am not. Uh, so I'm just curious, like, what you guys were think about him going into this series, what your interest was before I suggested we watch it, uh, before we get into what you think of the show as a whole. So, Josh, let's start with you. I remember when Colin Kaepernick, uh, like, first came on to the NFL, and at first it, it seemed like, okay, he seems pretty good, and then immediately just blew me away. Like, he was incredible, and I was so... Uh, impressed by him the I grew to like dread every time the Packers would play him because he would destroy them and it was heartbreaking every single time so uh as a as a as a football fan I was frustrated that he was so good and then he stopped my team from getting the Super Bowl um but amazed by his his skill set and um other than that I I mean his story is, you know, I, I'm, I, I could tell why they, they wanted to bring it to to Netflix um, because, no, he was an incredible player. But, I mean, the, what he's done as a um, as an activist has been, you know, even more impactful. Um, I remember when he um, first took a knee during a preseason game and, um, you know, how just like the narrative changed. And uh, it's it, it's it's wild and I'm you know happy to see that he is being able to use you know his voice to um, you know spread you know his his beliefs and be able to um, put a spotlight on some of these things that you know are you know repeatedly ignored in the culture so um, yeah and I think it's bogus that no NFL team has assigned him I think there are at least 16 teams in FNL that would be instantly better if they got him as a quarterback, uh, including Bill's Giants. I think they would be so much better. Shut up. Shut up. <laughs> Leave him alone. He's a nice boy. Right. Bill, Giants insults aside, uh, what is your background on Colin Kaepernick, the Kaepernick. athlete and activist? Uh, Colin Kaepernick, you know, when he, he was when he was a rookie, you know, you, you had um, – Alex Smith there, and you're like, okay, why don't why do they draft another quarterback? And then all of a sudden, you're like, oh, 
that's why. Because uh, he was super talented. That that he had that magical run when he led the 49ers to the Super Bowl. It was just incredible to watch him play. Um, I thought at the end of his run with the 49ers, he was kind of, you know, wasn't as good. But there's no reason Colin Kaepernick sh- right now at his age should be, you know, the subject of a Netflix docuseries when he should be playing in the NFL. I mean, if you look at some of the absolute just guys who shouldn't have even laced up their shoes over the last, I don't know, five years that have started in the NFL that he didn't, it's like, that's ridiculous. And the thing that sucks is because I'm often on the other, having to argue about this protest because I work with, and I don't give a single shit if they listen to this because they're not. Um, I listen to, I, I work with and I'm related to a lot of, let's just say Trump people. And they, when the, Colin Kaepernick protest happened. Everyone, no one got it. It was the narrative wasn't he's protesting an actual issue in the country. They're like, he's disrespecting dead soldiers. And I responded saying, hey, does anyone have an American flag in their house from a soldier that passed away? Because I do. And so I said, it has nothing. And that's why it's like everyone thinks that you're disrespecting dead soldiers. It's like, come on. No, they're not. It's like, it's utterly ridiculous. And as someone who's the son of a former veteran who's now passed away, I could tell you that's not how I took it. He was trying to protest something. He was trying to start a conversation, but people just shut down. And it really, it woke a lot of people up to see what other people thought of just like, they care more about a flag than they do about people being murdered, people being brutalized and systemic institutional corruption and just and i'm not saying every cop's a bad person so anyone who thinks i'm saying that i'm not what i'm saying is there is a lot of wrongdoing in this country that needs to be that has just we've slept swept under the carpet and we've slept on much like i was talking about my frustrations with dave Chappelle on netflix it's like what really changed a lot of us woke up to it a lot of us people marched in the streets you saw it in this show and alan kaepernick was a big part of that whether people want to admit it or not and yeah, it's, and it's true. And I mean, I think that it's worth saying because I feel like a lot of people don't even realize this. But the thing that he was protesting was police brutality and violence, um, things that in the years after his protest would become a huge conversation point on the national scene. You know, a lot of people in the summer of 2020 acted like they had just learned about Black Lives Matters for the very first time, acted like they had just learned about this problem of police violence for the first time when in fact you know obviously ferguson was many many years even before uh before colin kaepernick colin kaepernick many years before the protests of 2020 so this has been an issue going on for a long time uh you know fruitvale station the movie that um michael b jordan uh starred in all the way back in 2013 you know about the the death of a of a young man by uh the police uh this is something that has been in the conversation for a long time and constantly kept being slipped out of the conversation. And the thing that Colin Kaepernick tried to do was to try to have a private personal protest um, to raise awareness um, in a respectful way. He did interestingly check with a number of people and asked what would be the most respectful way that I could still take a stand. And uh, they suggested that he take a knee because a knee is uh, somewhat of a respectful uh, stance. It is not turning your back on the flag or refusing to stand uh, for the flag. Um, And, 
you know, uh, people decided that they cared more about the talking point uh, that Fox News was spreading than um, oh. listening to what he had to say. And so, unfortunately, we saw what happened. But the nice thing is, is that a lot of athletes in the years since really came out in solidarity around Colin. A lot of uh, athletes from a variety of different sports took knees at certain points. Whole teams took knees in solidarity. Um, so I feel like history is very clearly on his side, even if it cost him uh, his career in sports, which is something that was very meaningful to him. He has a new career as a civil leader, which I hope will um, ultimately matter a lot more uh, than whether or not he was a good quarterback, even though, of course, that was his personal passion. And, and it is sad when someone loses that their ability to, to pursue their passion because of this sort of uh, political pressure. Uh, you know, we talk all the time about cancel culture, but, you know, no one seems to care that uh, his his NFL oh, career was canceled by right wing. I have brought that up to all those people like, oh, you woke assholes, like cancel culture is like, you cancel Colin Kaepernick. You, you threatened that, you know, any, any per, pe- person who protests, you were trying to burn their jerseys or burn their shoes. Well, that's because I'm standing up for, uh, you know, at the flag in the United States of America. I'm, well, I'm like, well, he's standing up for, for black people who are also part of the United yeah. States of America and part of the culture. But people don't see it that way. Yes. The but- flag, they are blinded by patriotism, quote unquote. It's not patriot, trust but, me. It's not patriot. It's yeah, a particular brand of patriotism that uh you know we does not the point of this podcast to get dive into too much um, more <laughs> deeply but but it is the point of this this uh tv show calling in black or not or black and white to kind of explore the ways that living in this country impacted him and and shaped who he was and i'm really curious what you guys thought about that i, I only watched the first episode um i think you guys only watched the first episodes as well is that correct yes yeah. So, but but interestingly enough, I thought uh, this. It's six episodes. All of them are about a half hour long. So it's really not that much of a time investment, which I think is can be a barrier of entry sometimes for people. So I think that that's nice that it is that it is relatively brief. Um, and I don't know. I thought the first episode was pretty impactful in its thirty five minute runtime. Josh, what did you think? Yeah, I totally agree. I think of all of the shows we've spotlighted if, through our time podcasting, I think this is the best. Uh, I, I, I say that without reservations. Uh, well, I, you infamously I, did not like any of the other shows, so. <laughs> not, not all of them. I just hate the appeals very personally. <laughs> um, I, no, I, th- this is a show that, um, you know, I, I think it's it's meant to to challenge viewers um, and to, to open their eyes, depending on you know their background and their experiences, and and I, I think it does a tremendous job with that. Um, you know, I, I mentioned earlier that you know I'm a football fan, and the beginning of this episode just really just I mean it raises very uh, stark criticisms that very clear. Uh, comparisons between um, how NFL players are treated and how uh, enslaved Africans were treated. And it's, it's, it's shocking and it's, it's very effective. And from there, like it just goes on and on about the way that, um, you know, black indigenous and people of color and in this country just do not get their voices um, and, uh, you know, do not allow, are not allowed to have their voice presented in a way without it being demonized immediately. 
And I think this first episode does a wonderful job of tying it in with with sports and um, and hip hop and uh, hair. You mentioned being the the main emphasis of the episode. I think it brings it all together so well. Really, the only thing about the episode I didn't like was I, I wasn't a huge fan of the uh, the narration setup with um, the action Colin Kaepernick being sort of like a uh, some sort of weird room like looking into a screen of his past um that just felt a little too uh i don't know it just brought me out of what was going on i guess uh but other than that i i thought it was fantastic it's very being john malkovich uh of the show (laughs) in in an unexpected way um i'm gonna ask you bill in a second but i want to say um i really enjoyed this show i was very surprised by it i thought it was going to be mostly a sort of straightforward uh biopic uh miniseries that kind of cradle to grave sort of uh style of like every episode we'll talk about it it what the dmx film no, no. <laughs> cradle to grave biopics are a specific type of biopic where you kind of get like every like every era of a person's life in a two hour span of time. Um, and that's kind of what I thought we were headed for with this miniseries where you kind of see him as like a young kid, see him as a teenager, see him as a college player, see him in the NFL. And like now, you know, his story. Right. Um, but they don't really do that at all. It's much more innovative in the way that it presents its story. I kind of I was talking to someone earlier today and I said, and see if you can follow me on this, because it's kind of a weird comparison, but it kind of felt like Bill Nye the science guy, but instead of science, it's about living as a biracial kid in America. Like, it feels very accessible to younger audiences, maybe not, like, five- or six-year-olds, but definitely, like, preteen audiences and above. It feels like it's pitched at that level for kids to understand, and and it. I get, Josh, what you're saying about feeling confronted by it, but I thought that it it handles that confrontational um, aspect in a very interesting way. It's very kind of empathetic and coalition building in its approach. It's like not trying to scandalize you. It's trying to bring you into a world and get you to feel how uh, the people in that world feel instead of trying to shame you for never thinking about it the way that you're thinking about it. So I really think it's kind of it's an interesting piece of, of activism as much as anything else. And, you know, Ava DuVernay's work oftentimes functions in that capacity, um, specifically thinking of something like the 13th um, and also Selma in a way. And so I just, I think that it's really interestingly constructed. Um, you, you get all these little vignettes about the different pieces of culture that are influencing him in this moment. And I'm curious if that continues over time. I think it probably will given the structure of the show. Um, and I kind of liked the fact that it lets Colin be the voice of his own story. It's not, it's obviously filtered through all of these creative people, but it's letting him guide the narrative, which is so often what people who become the center of these tabloid uh, scandals lose, right? That ability to be the, to the narrator of their own story. So I thought it was actually very uh, provocative. Um, and impactful to let him be the narrator of his own story. And I think he does a pretty decent job given the fact that he is not a trained actor um, and he's really having to handle a lot of monologuing, basically. Um, It could get kind of dreadful. And I think that he has a lot of charisma and a lot of passion and a lot of uh, an ability to be engaging and accessible that really worked for me. Um, And I think that equally, Jaden Michael, who plays him as as a teenager, it does an excellent job 
at really letting the audience into how he's thinking and feeling in the moment and all of the complicated factors that are kind of rattling around in his brain. And, and also there's like a genuine innocence of someone who is not yet corrupted by this corrupt world about him that is interesting as well. And, you know, anchored by also Nick Offerman and, and Mary Louise Parker. Nick Offerman gets a little less to do in this episode. I'm sure that he'll have more to do in the future. Mary Louise Parker, I thought, did really well playing a lot of complicated notes um, of being a white parent of a of a perceived black child, um, which must be very complicated um, for a variety of reasons. And I thought that the show did an interesting job handling her. I think that, you know, we're often used to seeing this story, a story like this from a character like her's perspective. And I think that this show is uh, willing to engage with her perspective, but never loses track of of Colin's perspective. And I think that's really important too. It's not like the blind side where it's all about like the, the amazing white woman who, who saves a black boy from the world, you know, like it's, it's really taking serious all the complications of that situation while letting it really be Colin's story. So I was really impressed for all of those reasons. Bill, what did you think of the show? Um, So the show didn't really come together for me until the end because it goes from this kind of jarring, <clears throat> and I don't mean that in a bad way. Like you're seeing Colin Kaepernick and basically working in um, a studio space and, and there's projection behind him. Then you see the actors walking out of the projection. And I thought like Ava DuVernay's, her, her like visual palette and her style is just always incredible. Um, so see, that was great. And then we do this whole thing with the combine is like this a slave auction. Then immediate we're going into like, everybody hates Colin, the sitcom. And you're like, okay, wait, now this is a sitcom. It felt like to me. And then we're doing the, we're doing the sitcom trope of they get a bad haircut. And then it's just like, to me, it's just like, doesn't really hit until the final, like the final scene where they, you know, the parents have finally, it's like they've been a slow build and they finally, she explodes and say, you look like a thug. And then you just see the devastation on Jaden Michael's face. And then you cut to Colin Kaepernick and he says, this is how this damaged me. This is how much this hurt. This is from my parents. This is the, and I'm going to now get cornrows in my hair while I'm doing this from this character. And like that to me was like the big wallop for me at the end. I'm like, ah. This is how it all comes together because it, I, it, the tone for me, from just for me watching, it was like kind of all over the place. Like I didn't get time to digest stuff. It would be like, like for example, when he's getting his hair done for the first time, uh, the the girl doing this is like, oh well, you're biracial hair, and I'm like, oh, are we gonna go into this? And then it goes into here's Alan Iverson, and I'm just like, okay, okay, now I'm gonna get a documentary about Alan Iverson. Like, all right, cool. And then it was like, here's all this stuff. Let me tell you about the history of hip hop. And I'm like, all right, I, I, I kind of know this already. And I'm just like, what's happening here? And then all of a sudden, when we get to the end, I'm like, this isn't okay. I got it now. So this is kind of like gearing it towards younger kids who might not know a lot about this, a lot about history and culture. And then also slapping people of all ages in the face and saying, look what happened here. Like this explosion that would have come in a sitcom where they would, a parent would have said something to offend the child about their fashion choice or whatever. This has more of a cultural, emotional and psychological impact because this is a real person. This isn't a character. Look what this did. And that's important. And that's where they really nail it for me. Right. Well, I, and if this was, was a sitcom, like, 
like if, if this was a sitcom, you would have probably had a scene like that dinner table scene, but then like he would have stormed off and then, you know, exactly. one of the parents would have come and said, you know, if it was the dad, you'd say like, oh, you know, you have to understand she's having a hard time with all this, but we love you so much. Or the mom would say, you know, I'm sorry that I said that. I just am really overwhelmed and it's hard for everybody and we're learning, but they don't, he doesn't get that moment. And, and yeah. by seeing the actual Colin Kaepernick in real life as an adult and seeing the impact that that moment had, you see that he never really got that moment of reconciliation yes. and that does have power. And I think, and and I and I think that in that moment, what uh, what you're suggesting, I think, is that like all of the kind of context that the show is kind of throwing at you, also kind of comes together. Would you say that's correct as well? Yeah, everything, everything comes together. You like, I now know why we did all this, and now it comes because for me, I watched it in two sittings, so I was like, it, it was just going kind of all over the place for me, and maybe my mind wasn't as focused. But when it came at the end, I'm like, that's why we're here. This is that. Yeah. This is the the confluence of everything we've seen meets here. And like I was saying about the sitcom stuff, like you just said, there was no moment of all right, you know, the come to Jesus moment for everybody to reconcile was never there. And that's the important thing. And I think that by showing that moment, we're so used to, and these like these traditional sitcom setups that we've seen, you know, Theo Huxtable and the Gordon Gartrell. Um, a shirt that doesn't fit them or someone dyes their hair someone does something weird we don't ever see what the impact of that is and this showed the impact and he says i didn't get cornrows again for another 14 years yeah and with a show a different show you also wouldn't get the context exactly. that creates a moment like that either you don't get the understanding of where all of that comes from it just seems like a fashion choice maybe you get like a line of dialogue where it's important maybe there's like a teacher in the school that would give like a history lesson where they would that takes like six lines of dialogue you know but you don't get a fully kind of immersive experience and i think this show does a very innovative thing by trying to present all of that within a very simple story about a boy and his hair and i really i found it very very powerful josh i'm going to give you the final word um what do you want to say uh, to close things off in this discussion of the show uh, i mean i would encourage pretty much anyone and everyone to watch it i, I think it for for some people it's going to be eye-opening for other people it's going to be um you know a chance to feel seen and i i think um as, as we all discussed you know colin kaepernick is a important figure in in you know the world today and i, I think going through his story um is is really powerful and i i think I think it was you were right to say, Alex, that like having him narrate it, even though he's not a trained actor, is powerful because it is his voice and, and giving him a chance to, you know, to speak his truth in this, I, I think is incredibly powerful. So, um, yeah, I, I hope it gets more attention. And uh, honestly, it's it's wild to think that this came out on Netflix the same month as the Dave Chappelle special. And it's it's kind of wild. I know it's you know, therein lies you know, everything that you need to know about uh, the current state of culture, right? (laughs) It's just all there and it's all a mess, but you can find the the nuggets that are really worthwhile. And I really hope this kind of gets seen. I know, I feel like this has kind of gone under the radar a little bit. And that's sort of the problem when it comes to Netflix stuff is that they just have so much on offer that it's hard to get a lot of promotion going. I'm curious, you guys watch NFL football is this being advertised on NFL games? 
that's no. wild. Like, why would you not be paying for that? That seems like such an easy. <laughs> they might not want. It. You know, uh, you'd be surprised how fast they they hear the name Colin Kaepernick change channel. Guaranteed. Yeah. I, people, I people, guess. People hate with a capital H A T E hate him. They really yes, but do. there is also a lot of football fans that are inspired by him and feel very supportive and and passionate about him and defense of him. So it's like you're kind of losing that whole opportunity by just avoiding that sector altogether, you know? Well, isn't that the point of this show? It's just like we're going to ignore it, and this he's saying don't ignore it, and that's that's the thing. And it's, it's number seven, by the way, on the Netflix top ten right now, but it should be higher. I mean, it's very high yeah. profile. But you don't see it. You don't. That's you don't see a promoter. Yeah. For a show like this about a person like this, with this type of pedigree behind it, to be debuting at number seven on Netflix is very weak, you know? I mean, there's, like, old movies from, like, 30 years ago that get that debut on the platform higher. <laughs> so. The Richie King Arthur movie, I think, is viewed more. <laughs> oh, yeah. That was, like, I think, like, number two or three on Netflix. That's <laughs> huge. Oh, <laughs> And that's a terrible movie that nobody even remembers exists. They probably all think it's new to Netflix because it was so bad that no one saw it. (laughs) (laughs) And I mean, you know, I guess it's beating Coco Melon if it's number seven. Coco Melon usually hovers around number nine on the top ten. So I missed out on that. Thank God. (laughs) (laughs) But on that very optimistic note, I guess the last thing I'll ask, I mean, you guys both seem very positive about it. You're going to finish out this the last five episodes. Yeah, I want to. Listen, I, I also said I would finish heels, and I didn't. So I mean, I, well, I mean, yeah, I'm disqualified from all the usually these questions. Are you gonna finish? Those are hour long, so at least. I know. Like I mean to, I, I'd like to, but probably not because one day you're just gonna be sick from work for like two days. You're gonna watch all of heels, and you're gonna text me, and you're gonna be so excited about it. So just think about it as a gift to your future self. This podcast will be record of it. <laughs> All right. Well, on that note, that's going to do it for us. Uh, This is definitely um, a bit of an up and down episode. We covered a lot of serious stuff, and I hope you guys stuck with us. If you didn't, you're not hearing this, so I guess it doesn't matter. But if you did, I appreciate it. Uh, We like to have fun, but we also like to talk about the world, and and both of those things are important. So thanks for hanging with us. Uh, Josh, in the meantime, where can we find more of your stuff on the Internet and on Pop Break? How's the column going? Uh, I, I, I missed October. Sorry guys. Um, so people can find me on Twitter at Josh Sonecki. I, I did have something in the works for, for October and it just, it didn't come together. So here's hoping for November for my couch video column. But Aaron and I did record our November TV episode, uh, for anniversary brothers podcast already. Um, so I guess, I don't want to spoil it, but I'm going to spoil it. We're talking about the TV show 24 and its Ooh. 20th anniversary. So um, we go into what worked about it. We go into what's problematic about it. We, you know, we dive in. So um, encourage people to listen to that once that's posted. And then we've got a, a movie podcast coming out later this month. So, yeah, those are the big things. And uh, Very good. otherwise, 24- 
24 alum Cal Penn in the news this week, uh, getting engaged to longtime partner Josh. Uh, did not Josh Ternacki, though. We should let people know he is not the uh, infamous Josh in the in the news getting engaged to Cal Penn. Although I would have been very excited if you were. I mean, Cal Penn seems like a lovely individual and I'm happy for him. Uh, he seems great. They met in the Obama White House. I mean, come on. How do you beat that story? Uh-uh. It's a good love story. I like it. It is. Uh, Bill, how about you? Did you uh, meet anyone interesting in the Obama White House uh, 15 years ago that you kept it a secret? And <laughs> no, sorry. <laughs> I, 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 is it still a sure. secret? Are you waiting for the press release to... Uh, I mean, listen, can we can we address how you said I gave off divorce dad energy on the last podcast we did? <laughs> I've been married for 12 years. 11 years. I can't remember my anniversary. Uh, listen, that's on the Socially Distanced podcast, which you can watch, every, you can listen to every Friday on the Pop Breaks uh, website and subscribe yeah, yeah. to on all the major po- podcast platforms. Where else can we see your stuff, Bill? <laughs> I'm at Bodkin Writes, W-R-I-T-E-S. Mostly just talking wrestling and retweeting stuff from thepopbreak.com. Every single day, well, hopefully, we are posting about movies, television, music, comic books, anime, video games, pro wrestling, digital trends, all sorts of great stuff. Uh, find us on Twitter at the Pop Break on Instagram at the Pop Break, our Facebook at Hack. So, man, coming back anytime soon. We've been trying, but the metaverse is too busy to talk to us. Uh, and, uh, check me out every single Friday with my usual, hopefully, co-host Al Manorino. We are the host of the Socially Distanced Podcast. Uh, we have a great podcast. It's, it's Halloween-themed, but it's mostly horror-themed, so it's a bit evergreen. We have a whole bunch of awesome people in that one. I'm so stoked by that one. We did, it was a six-person podcast. Might be one of my favorite episodes we've ever done. It was a lot yeah. of fun. I don't um, know how you manage that. That's so many people on a podcast. <laughs> I, had a couple, I had a couple beverages, but I was also just excited to talk, you know, talk with all these people individually. So I'm like, all right, I'll figure it out somehow. And uh, we did that. Um, we're going to be doing a Dune cast soon. We're going to be doing a Cowboy Bebop uh, episode. And uh, then we'll we'll go into Hawkeye, then followed by Book of Boba Fett. So it drops every Friday. Very, very exciting, Bill. Thank you so much for all of your work. And I did feel bad when I said that you had divorced that energy. I meant it as a compliment. Uh, but I know it didn't probably sound like that. <laughs> oh, nice guy. <laughs> <laughs> Divorce dads can be nice too. Anyway, um, you can follow me on Twitter at Media Thinkings. You can follow me on Letterbox at Media Thinkings. Uh, you can check out my film podcast, Cinema Joes, at Cinema Joes on Twitter. Uh, we're reviewing old movies. We're reviewing new movies. We're going to be reviewing Eternals next week. That's very. I'm looking forward to that. Uh, uh, Manish Marthar is going to be coming on uh, from Talk Film Society to talk to us about that movie. Can't wait. Um, and yeah, you can also follow my work as a podcast editor by uh, subscribing to Pop Break TV. We've already talked about all the shows on that network or on that uh, podcast. Uh, you can also follow and subscribe to um, the Breakcast feed where we do wrestling and movies and uh, music. Uh, you can also check out uh, the recent episode of the Way Too Early Oscar podcast. Uh, kind of summarizing all of the festival season uh, now that it is complete and we are really shockingly uh, on the verge of major Oscar campaign season already. Um, And uh, yeah, otherwise, I look forward to seeing you guys or hearing from you or you hearing from us next month when we have other things to talk about like Hawkeye. So stay tuned for that.
until then, see you next time.